This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Good evening. This is the second part of the one worship that comprises the great three days, beginning with Monday, Thursday, and now Good Friday, as we continue to follow Jesus now to the cross, crucifixion, and burial. One of the things was a custom in ancient Israel, was in times of great repentance or mourning, the leaders and the people would, in the biblical language, rend their gowns. Um, they would tear the fabric of their, of their cloaks. And so I invite you, if you haven't already, as you come in, to grab one of these pieces of cloth, and you will see that at the end of the service, after the paschal candle is extinguished and broken, as Psalm 22 is being sung, you will have then the opportunity to tear this piece of cloth and you'll see that they are, are cut. So you're not sitting there going, Aah! if you're like me, not terribly brawny. Um, but uh, you, that'll be the opportunity to tear it and then go up to the chancel area and put the pieces at the foot of the cross. I think those are all the announcements I need to make other than to invite you to look forward to the third uh, act of this worship, which will be Easter morning. We have a sunrise service at 6.30, a worship service at 9, and then a uh, contemporary worship at 10.45. Let us begin our worship. Condemned by church and state, betrayed by enemies and friends, Jesus was led outside of Jerusalem to a hill called Golgotha, meaning the skull. Suffering and death of our Lord, according to John. King of the Jews. Our first prophecy is from Isaiah. A shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the beak of the earth. From the Gospel of John. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull 
which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. It takes children a little while to learn how to lie. And for that reason, walking down the street, they will exclaim with unguarded enthusiasm, Man, that guy's fat. But as we grow older, we learn a thousand little tricks to keep from saying what we really mean. We couch the truth in codes, in euphemism, hints, and suggestions. Little white lies to whitewash who we really are, what we really mean, and what we are really afraid of. Truth is the first sacrifice made to civilization. And so it is no small miracle in itself when Pilate, seeing more in these events than we give him credit, and therefore suffering all the more because of it, speaks the truth plainly, writes it in black and white, In three languages, lest anyone fail to understand, this is the king of the Jews. Pilate's sin is that he doesn't stand up to the crowd. But how could he? He could no more stop this than a man could hold back the tide. This flood has been rising for a long, long time. If he were silent, the very stones themselves would cry out, crucify him. Seamless. Our next prophecy comes from Psalms 22. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. And from the Gospel of John. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. 
this was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. How can you divide what has no division? How can one tear what has no seam? Not only would it be a shame to destroy such a beautiful thing, but in a cloth tightly woven, made by an expert hand, there is no flaw or grain where one can start. The whole is unified, unassailable. I could no more divide it than I could divide the ways that swirl and fill in behind. So it is between creature and creator, between God and that which God's creative will embraces. Though pulled and soiled, blood-stained and abused, the fabric holds. For the warp into which the stuff of human souls are woven is the unbreakable, undeniable thread of divine love. Family. Our next prophecy comes from Job. My days are past. My plans are broken off. The desires of my heart. They make night into day. The light, they say, is near to the darkness. If I look for Sheol as my house, if I spread my couch in darkness, if I say to the pit, you are my father, and the worm, and to the worm, my mother, or my sister, where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the dust? And from the Gospel of John. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Mere moments from death, in the final throes of agony, lifted high on a cross, naked, humiliated, and on display, a broken, bleeding mess of humanity. Jesus does a startling thing. He turns the eyes that would gaze on him, turns them away, and instead turns them toward each other. Already gasping in the vacuum of his absence, Jesus fills that void with the physical presence of those nearest by. 
even as his spirit is leaving. He turns their attention to those in whom his spirit will soon return. Love them. Love them as I have loved you. Love each other. For God's sake, love each other. Finished. Our prophecy again comes from Job. My days are past. My plans are broken off. The desires of my heart. They make night into day. The light, they say, is near to the darkness. If I look for Sheol as my house, if I spread my couch in darkness, if I say to the pit, you are my father, and to the worm, my mother, or my sister, where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Who, it, will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the dust? And from John, after this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Children are right to be afraid of clowns. They aren't right. Not the one behind the paint, not the one who does the tricks and the prat falls to bring nervous laughter from anxious children. But the face, the face isn't quite right. Sure, there's a nose where a nose should be, but it's large and swollen and red. The eyes are thrown open unnaturally wide, and the mouth stretches too far from side to side from ear to ear in a grin, too wide to be real. It's a face, but not a real face. Not a human face. These are the things that frighten us most. The things that are almost right, that have a veneer of normalcy that hides the monstrous. The wine they give him to drink isn't wine, but only seems like wine. It's vinegar, a cruel jest on a dying man. But he has the last laugh. For although he appears to be just one more sad sack, no-account Messiah wannabe, getting exactly what he deserves underneath the veneer. Behind the surface, behind the gasping and bleeding, 
if our mortal eyes could only make it out, we would discover God's own self dying there. And that is what is truly evil. Blood and water. Our next prophecy comes from Zechariah. And I will pour out a spirit of compassion and supplication on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that when they look on the one whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for an only child and weeps bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. And from John. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. There is no clean beginning and ending, no death certificate signed in in triplicate stating the time and cause of death. The cause is all too familiar to us, for we have participated in this death. It was our own fingers driven through his hands and feet, our own hand thrust deep into his side. No wonder Thomas drew back when Jesus, after all was finished, invited him to touch and see He was ashamed to repeat such dark actions in the light of that glorious new day. And the time? Who can say? For is it not that same last rattling breath that having brooded once more over the three-day darkness will fill his disciples' lungs once again with a sudden surprised gasp of joy? And the water and blood that flow from his side. Just as God once drew forth a rib from sleeping Adam to form his bride. So now is brought forth from Christ. Slumbering in death the elements of new life. The water of baptism mixed with the Eucharistic blood. From this sacramental outpouring The waters of new birth is formed Christ's bride, his holy church.
buried. Our next prophecy is from Isaiah. By a a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And from John. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Nicodemus returns, emerging from the darkness again like a phantom. Last time he came with questions. Now he comes bearing a hundred pounds of grief, the last fragrant offering of those who come to understand too late. With this he anoints all the lost opportunities the unanswered questions, the failed wisdom, and failed courage. Now he does what he could not do before. He touches him. He gently strips and bathes and wraps the body, and with nothing more than his shared humanity, our shared failing, our shared grief, he invites us to come out of the darkness. And when all is finished, we, each of us, gently lift him up, now bearing all the stink of all our guilt offerings, and carry him with us back into that dark sea. Now he really is one of us, incarnated into our death as surely as into our life, having expelled his last breath just as surely as he sucked in his first. We carry him out and descend and lay him in our deepest, darkest trench, that place reserved for everything lost and broken and hopeless. And turning our backs, we close the door. And then, 
together there in our shared darkness. We wait. I invite you to once more stand and to gather around the chancel. Blessed are you, Lord God, for your boundless love. This cross, once the source of shame and death for humankind, has become for us the tree of life. When his hour had come to return to you in glory, the Lord Jesus, our King, our priest, and our teacher, freely mounted the cross and made it his royal throne, his altar of sacrifice, and his pulpit of truth. On the cross he opened out his arms and drew all unto himself. He proved what he had prophesied, that the grain of wheat must die to bring forth the harvest. Father, we honor this cross as the sign of our redemption. May we reap the harvest of salvation. May our sins too be nailed to this cross, the power of life released, pride conquered, and weakness turned to strength. May the cross be our comfort in trouble, our refuge in the face of danger, our safeguard on life's journey until you welcome us to our heavenly home. And so in confidence, we pray the words you taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.